Hello and welcome to Newspeak, New Culture Forum's look at the weekly news agenda. Um, I'm joined by, as usual, by our senior fellow, Rafe Hadelman-Koo, historian and royal commentator, and uh, making her first appearance on this show, Laura Dodsworth, who I have to say, uh, she's on the channel recently talking about her new book, um, which is Free Your Mind, which actually has now just entered the bestseller charts, isn't it? Yes, very happy to say it's landed yes. in the Sunday Times bestseller list in its first week on sale. I think that's worth the second plug, actually, Laura. Oh, there thank we go. You. So well, maybe it's all down to this lovely interview you gave well, us in the New Culture <laughs> Forum. No, it's, a, it's great to have you on. Um, before we talk about actually our, our subjects this week, just one uh, thing I wanted to uh, bring to your attention, and that is, uh, remember The West, which was the wonderful. Uh, six-part documentary we did about Western civilization, why it's such a great thing, why we should defend it. Um, we've actually created a new separate site for it. So you can go to this site and see all the programs as well as some of the wonderful things people have said about it. Um, but more, most importantly, all of the series is there laid out. Uh, so go to westerncivilization.com .co.uk, westerncivilization.co.uk, it'll be under this, this video, and you'll see uh, the West there. As you know, it was presented and written by Mark Sibwell, did a wonderful job, I think. So uh, that's the West. Anyway, back to the reality of the cultural fight this week. Um, we're going to talk about banks, actually. Uh, uh, Nigel Farage obviously has really uh, opened up uh, Pandora's box here, whether or not he meant to. He certainly has. Um, going to be talking about that. Also, uh, the new, uh, your you know, great hero, Sadiq Khan, mine too, uh, started a new campaign, yet another new campaign, this one around violence towards women and girls, which is uh, basically broadly mate, uh, which we're going to be discussing. And finally, um, is basically converting shops and old take takeaway shops uh, into homes. Is that really the solution for our homeless crisis. Uh, the Tory government would seem to think it is. Um, first things first then, Rose. Um, alluded to it there, with the banks situation, with Nigel Farage having caused, actually quite directly, you know, uh, the resignation of chairman and the chief executive, uh, I'm very pleased to say, right, has he almost stumbled across a kind of way in to the whole battle that we are, we talk about week on week, which is this huge institutional capture. Yes, I don't think we can overstate just how significant this is. I mean, I think this is the biggest victory for Farage since the Brexit campaign. And all those who had said that or assumed that Farage was a busted flush and just an, an inconsequential figure on a small TV station have been left with, with egg on their face because he has exposed, as you've said, that this is more than just the battle of one man to retain access to his, to his elitist bank. This is about a broader issue of banks debanking thousands, potentially tens of thousands of average people who don't have the platform that he's had. And had it not been for the fact that he has had this platform, this issue, I think, would have, would have continued to exist beneath the surface inevitably until the Labour Party got into power mm -hmm. after the next election, if it does as we all assume it will do, and as we've seen from the lacklustre defence uh, that the Labour Party have given to this issue when we've seen shadow ministers essentially agreeing with the bank, we've had Rachel Reeves saying that the loss of Alison Rose was actually a blow to women's rights and feminism, rather than actually the fact that she disclosed 
you broke cl client confidentiality. I think this is a hugely important issue and it has huge ramifications and repercussions because I don't think there is any tool in the woke arsenal mm. that's more powerful than to deny people access to a bank account. Mm. It is the most crucial and vital aspect that enables one to become, to remain part, a functioning part of society. And if you remove that, then I think that threat of removing that is more than anything else likely to cow someone into silence. But I think, actually, I, mean, I don't know what you think uh, about this law, but it seems to me that people were largely unaware of all this kind of back banking activity, weren't they? Yeah, probably. But I mean, I think it is, it's a really um, unusually cruel and vicious punishment. It's like the modern form of exile and banishment, no less. Mm. You know, uh, countries used to say, short of the death penalty, you were exiled. And being debanked, is very similar. I mean, that's why Nigel Farage launched this whole lightning rod for a re-examination of the woke capture of institutions by saying he may have to leave the country because mm. it does constitute a form of exile. I think the reaction has been astonishing. I am stunned at how this is being spun by certain commentators. Now, I'm, I'm quite preoccupied with psychology, despite not being a psychologist, because it's been the train of my last two books, The State yeah. of Fear and Free Your Mind. And so I look at some of the, um, the cognitive dissonance that's at play, at play right now, and you see very well-known commentators and politicians saying, oh, but it's just Nigel Farage and mm. it's just an elite bank, which is a form of minimization. But if you swapped his name for somebody else with a different political persuasion or for, a, or for a different bank, mm. and the reaction would, of course, be different. So he's, he's absolutely done something, I think, apocalyptic in, in the sense of an unveiling for how institutions are captured by a form of ideology. I find the defence of Alison Rose because she's a woman and it's a blow for, a, a, for feminism absolutely unconscionable. The fact mm. is if you have equality, men and women should be treated the same way. If anything, and this is entirely unsubstantiated, I think women can be worse at following this sort of ideology. Now, the other aspect of this is, which we have to pin squarely on Dame Alison Rose, is that the report, the dossier that Coots compiled upon him was really nasty and it was quite bizarre and it made very personal accusations. Mm, you know, he was mm, accused of being mm. a grifter and racist. And so it's been compiled from the perspective of a moral vantage point, like they at Coots are all better than him. They mm. don't like him. Mm. And yet, from that moral vantage point, she broke client confidentiality, mm. which should be unthinkable for the for a member of staff from any bank, but she's the CEO. Mm. Now that is elitist, yeah. to think that you're above the rules that are there to protect everybody. Yes, because we know full well that had uh, this information been disclosed by a bank teller or someone on that level, their mm. job would have been on the line within, I mean, they would have gone within days. And yet there was still this idea of the mm. board of directors getting behind Dame Alison Rose and saying, well, she still had our, our support. I mean, the-, the, the Has she not committed a crime? I mean, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I'm really angry. I mean, has she not committed a crime? She's breached the client confidentiality. The sheer arrogance of that. And, and I'm glad that the CEO of, of Coots, Peter Flavel, has also now resigned. Mm. But interesting to see no Rachel Reeves defense there because he wasn't, he, he wasn't a woman. But it's fascinating to see, as you said, the reaction from people and how the, how the left have suddenly become the greatest yeah. champions and defenders of, of banks, which, you know, mm. you know, just in 2008, we can remember the left having those Occupy Wall Street, Occupy, mm. uh, Occupy London, and you know, Occupy even St. Paul's Cathedral, banks were the enemy. But now that banks have embraced work ideology, suddenly they've become friends. You know, these are fair weather friends. 
but what's interesting just to look at is how banks have actually changed because you know banks used to be that the, the uh, you know the small c traditional conservative institutions that really resonated with people you had your local bank manager they were embedded in the community um, you know NatWest always had vernacular architecture and neoclassical architecture architecture on it on it on its buildings suddenly it's converted now where they've withdrawn themselves completely from local communities branches have collapsed and they've now basically instead got these showering internationalist style skyscrapers mm -hmm. in mega cities populated by United Nations world of employees completely mm. removed. They are the somewheres and the anywheres. That's the journey. They've gone from being the small C conservatives ally to now the ally of people who have progressive ideologies. And of course, Coots became political two years ago when it signed up to these B core values. Now we've spoken many times on this channel about uh, companies allied with Stonewall and how a lot of the trans nonsense we've seen has been through corporations and government departments wanting to get their Stonewall award for, for being good allies or good friends or whatever. But it's not just Stonewall doing this. There are a myriad other organizations, including Mermaid, for example, but also this B Corps, which has uh, the environment, diversity inc and inclusion mm. as, as, it, as its key mantras. And this is why we're seeing this, this, the, the, these moves that we've seen over the last two years is the politicization of our banking system through mm. these outside organizations. Yeah. Uh, can, yeah. I, can I say one more thing about this as well? I mean, while I think this is, this is really important, it's nothing short literally of apocalyptic, if we mean in sense of unveiling, we're really understanding what kind of fetid surveillance, monitoring and moral judgments gone behind closed doors, mm. whether it's shadowy government censorship and surveillance units or, or our high street banks. It's also, it's also showing how pervasive these attitudes are, not just within the banks, but on the outside. So there's a GMB presenter called Adil Ray, and he tweeted something oh, about yeah. this in defense of Coots and said that attitudes like Nigel Farage's shouldn't be mm. permissible in any environment. Yeah. And that harkens back to the idea of exile, that there are mm. certain views that are not permissible in any environment. What, what would happen to those views? What exactly is it they want? Where does it go? The thing is with him, you see, that was a bit, very good example. He did two tweets, in, one was about banks and one was about the environment, I think. As you say, he said, these are dangerous views which have no place, should not be allowed. It's, it's actually- In it, any environment. Yes, and the extraordinary thing is, is that the, you, one can still be shocked actually by the blatant, you know, expression of, of these views. You know, this is the authentic voice of these people coming out. But there's a lot of, as you say, I mean, for example, there's a lot of stuff that is really not going to age well. Um, for example, did you see Constantine kissing on Newsnight? And it was um, Paul Mason, you know, the, the left oh, thing, yes. basically <laughs> defending, defending these banks, you know, and, and it's just quite extraordinary. But I think this is point you, you say about the unveiling, you mm. know, and to me, it is like, I've used this comparison before, but it's not unlike, you know, Al Capone, being done for tax, tax evasion, because it's sort of like we always are looking at the public sphere and we're looking at museums and wouldn't it be great to see that head of that museum going for decolonizing it? And lo and behold, it comes out of an, a completely different area, almost by accident. Mm. Okay, well, this is work capitalism, isn't it? Yes. And work capitalism is one of the issues which has been go allowed to to flourish over the last few years without any exposure, without any examination that we're getting. But the problem with work capitalism is that it's always 
virtue signaling of the most superficial kind mm. because they can look good on their Twitter accounts, they can look good on social media, they can put up pride flags outside their windows. But then, as we just seen yesterday, NatWest's profit came in, were announced yesterday, of 3.6 billion higher, 300 million higher than, than was expected because of the high interest rates that they're benefiting from on loans and so forth. And yet they haven't given that same interest rate benefit no. to savers, people who have actually done the good thing and saved up their money are not getting any of the benefits. And surely, if you want to actually show your social justice merits, you, want, you would want to ensure that there's parity between the interest rates you're earning on loans and you're giving that same interest rate to savers. And I think that speaks volumes. This is, mm. all, this is all performative gestures without any substance behind it. Mm. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, you couldn't pin this specific crime onto Coots, but if you think back to the subprime mortgage lending mm. and the banking disaster of 2008, Banks have got serious sin sheets. You know, there's, there's other problems to talk about at home. But there's something here about coming into the private world because they were talking about Nigel Farage secretly behind closed doors. They were talking about lawfully held political views. So he's being punished for lawfully held mm. political views. There's no, there's no tolerance for pluralism, for different perspectives. And what they're really doing is they're projecting. They're accusing him of things that they themselves are guilty of. You know, uh, what well, they've conspired because they were talking mm. about him behind closed doors and the CEO was talking to the BBC and it's all secretive. But they accuse him of intolerance essentially, don't they? And yet they're also guilty of intolerance and it's coming right into our private lives. I just think of a bank as somewhere where I expect them to look after my money. Don't you remember? I and mean, and not, to, not to think about my political point of view or anything about me personally. That should be none of their business. I remember, you know, I've been with NatWest, you know, uh, for uh, what, 40 years, about the same as Nigel. And uh, I remember going along and seeing my bank manager. You, I mean, I remember he was named Mr. McDonald. His name was. And you used to go along and see them. And I remember when I was starting out in TV, I took him to get an overdraft. I took him a sample of one of the programs on a video, <laughs> to, just to say, look, I'm, I'm actually do doing it. Look, give us, you know, and it, it's quite it's, it's innocent days, isn't it? But mm. I think, you know, with this. You mentioned, you know, uh, that, that they've made a great fuss, or some people have about the fact that she's a woman and everything. Uh, you know, whatever, male or female, 5.2 million is the salary, or rather the remuneration, shall we say. <laughs> and then 5 million. I just, I did, brings out the lefty in me. Oh, that's the. That it really I'm, does. That's elite, isn't it? Five I mean, million pound it, salary. If you want, you couldn't make it up in a play by David Hare, could you? No, I but mean, there's a lot of these people in these kind of makes your resignation that much more palatable, but doesn't <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly, <laughs> but just everything you know, everything about it. But the thing, but, but but to go to expand on Laura's point, she's absolutely right. I mean, it's not just Nigel Farage who has a dossier, right? We now know that the average person apparently has their social media accounts examined by banks now prior to accepting them as clients. This, I think, is the scariest thing of all that we've learned. And it's not just Kutsu, of course. We're talking about another three banks where were revealed to have been doing this stuff as well last week, too. So this is very sinister, and it edges us ever closer towards this Chinese social credit system. Yes. This is exactly what we have. Mm. You, know, you know, we discussed it before. I mentioned you know, the, the famous Black Mirror episode. This is fast becoming reality. If you're denied access to a mortgage, you're denied a bank account, if you, you know, you're denied access to public transport even in the future, you can just see every level at which your behavior is being modified and is being dictated by how you are received by mm. allegedly your neighbours. Mm. Absolutely, so there's a sense in which this is genuinely potentially a lightning rod for change. 
let's be optimistic mm. and hope it is. But on the other hand, it could also be a massive smoke and mirrors distraction from what's really going on. Because while you've got ministers saying dossiers shouldn't be compiled on citizens and everyone has the right to a bank account, mm. at the same time, the Bank of England is consulting on identity-based central bank digital currencies. And they give examples of how that could work in their own discussion papers. So for instance, you could drive up to um, a petrol pump in your smart car and the petrol pump will decide if you get petrol or not and just charge you automatically. Now, right now we're, we're kind of moaning about ULEZ or paying mm. per mile for driving and you can see this kind of constriction on the private motorist. Well, it's quite possible in an identity-based CBDC future that you drive up to the petrol pump and it says no more petrol for you, or we didn't like mm. your views on social media. So really, it's this potential future we should be even more alarmed about. Yeah. Well, as you say, I mean, I this this thing, right, I don't think it is just smoke and mirrors at the moment. This thing has made me feel kind of optimistic. I, I just, it's like... It just made me feel, oh God, there's a breach in the wall. But you know, yeah. we'll have to see it's a breach in the wall. Well, if the Bank of England, you know, pulls back on identity-based CBDCs, I'll agree mm. with you. But the problem once again here is that we've had 13 years of conservative oh. rule where nothing has been done on this. And, and don't mm. tell me people didn't know. I mean, no one is closer to the banks than the Conservative Party. Mm. They know exactly what's been going on. We're now, what, 18 months away from an next election. The chance that any real meaningful legislation will be enacted by that time I think is highly doubtful. And if you don't think the Tories have done anything on this, my gosh, you don't expect Labour to do anything at all. And of course, it looks full well that we'll have probably two terms at least of a Labour government coming up. So actually, I'm not as hopeful as you yeah. may be. Two, two terms of a Labour government, possibly three terms of Sadiq Khan, uh, because he's going for this kind of, well, actually, I don't think there's ever, ever been any limitation written in to the mayoralty. So he's going that. Mention him because, you know, he likes to control our language and everything like that. Knife crime can go hang. He likes to control our language. New thing out this week, a new campaign, you must have seen it. Broadly, this this word mate, this kind of, you know, hashtag mate, which is sort of like drawn out so as to basically suggest a kind of way of saying mate, you know. This is all about stopping violence or discouraging men being violent towards uh, women and girls. Before we talk about it actually, let's just take a look at the ad which kind of launched it. Here we are. Well, at least we ain't playing it against girls like last week. Pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've saved on my phone. Go large. <laughs> feel like these large ones in my DMs. I don't know about you lot yeah, but I'm definitely in the mood for spicy breasts now. Is that a bird running the line? So what, now I've got women telling me I'm wrong about football as well? <laughs> some true, bro. What do they know about the game, man? Bro, you need to lay down the ground rules straight away. Is that what you did with that girl you took out in Shoreditch? <laughs> <laughs> well, nah, nah, she, uh, she ghosted me. Dumb bitch, probably wouldn't know a good thing if it slapped her in the face. Someone I'd gladly do if I see her again. Does this kind of work? Do you think this kind of thing, Lauren? <laughs> Well, it should do because it's using a number of behavioural science tricks and yet yeah, doesn't, it completely fails. It's really cringeworthy. He's the subject, Sadiq Khan is the subject of widespread derision for this total waste of our money. Yeah. Uh, not only that, he's ruined the word mate completely. I can't even say the word mate without feeling really angry now. And on the word mate, Ogilvy 
even produced a poster explaining why mate sounds the way it does in the campaign. It's this elongated vowel, yeah. which gets your attention, as does the snappy consonant at the end, mate. And of course, this is really not very different to how Barbara Woodhouse used to train dogs to sit. Yeah. Sit, yeah. elongated vowel, sharp T. Essentially, Sadiq Khan is treating us all like Pavlov's dogs. Pavlov trained dogs to salivate when he rang a bell. I mean, I, I really dislike this ad for a number of reasons. It uses social conformity. It shows men how they should behave in a group and what mm. the consequences if they deviate from the group behavior. Mm. And of course, the, the poor chap that's set up to be the full guy, the bad sexist one, is the only white one in the group, which I can't help feeling is no accident. No, um, <laughs> it gives you efficacy. So it shows you what action to take if somebody deviates from the social conformity, which is you say, mate to them. Um, anyone who has sons or knows young men, I have two teenage boys, knows they talk about girls all the time and in a way, why shouldn't they? It's just a, mm. a natural instinct. This doesn't mean that I'd ever encourage my sons to be disrespectful about women. I'm on it all the time, I can tell you. Mm. But there's something again, a bit like Coots Bank, of interfering in the private space. So Sadiq Khan's response to misogyny is to try to tell young men how to behave when they're on their own. No, they're in a mm, living room. Mm. They're, not, um, they're not harassing a woman on a train. They mm. haven't touched somebody inappropriately. They're just having a little chat. And the poor white guy says, I'm defo in the mood for spicy breasts. And they're all supposed to say, mate, and shame him for having made a little joke about saying the word breasts. I think London's got much bigger misogyny and violence against women problems than a group of young men playing video games and having a chat with each other. I think it's a complete waste so of the, our money. The language used was kind of slightly old fashioned, wasn't it? I just, I, some of the comments, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of that or something. I well, I, I, exactly. I, I was just thinking, like, yeah, don't talk yeah, like if this. that's misogynist, well, my God, that means every single episode of Up Pompeii and carry, the Carry On <laughs> films is automatically gone, you know, let alone yeah. Donald McGill's saucy seaside postcards, yeah. all of which were references to, yeah. you know, big, big choppers and all sorts of things <laughs> going on. I mean, that is really an attack on one of the, the, the key uh, foundation blocks of British humour, which is innuendo and du double entendre. I mean, gosh, mm. generations of us have grown up enjoying that sort of humour, and it's, it, it carries on ironically in, in comedies today. Uh, on, even on even on the BBC, you see it with uh, on, what, what's that show called? It's not going out, for example. They yeah. still use innuendo yeah. and double entendres, which would fall foul of Sadiq Khan. I mean, we know what's going on here, don't we? Sadiq Khan has failed on every measure as a mayor, from you know, from crime to housing. These are well beyond his remit dealing with these sorts of issues, but they're distractions and there are ways for him to be seen to be appealing to his base and distract them away from the appalling knife crime that we're seeing and from, from, every, from every other standard by which London is now declining. And of course, you know, the mayor is, 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 uh, is, is, you know, is reticent to ever attack any ethnic minority, except of course for the fact that white men are actually an ethnic minority within London. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, we know why misogyny is rising in London. Of course, don't we? It's because, of course, of the vast immigrant population that's come into that's come into London, and we're seeing a rise in homophobia, we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism, and we're seeing a rise in misogyny. And I'm just wondering: has this video been translated into Urdu? Has this video been translated into Arabic? I don't think so. The people who are actually more than anything responsible for the rise of misogyny aren't the people who traditionally say "mate."
Well, I don't say made. Do I say chap? I don't know what I would I would say in this context. These are the bigger issues that aren't being addressed. There, there, there is a problem with misogyny, but it's also like this new campaign about stopping sexual staring on the tube, for example. That was never an issue in decades previously. What's changed? Well, it's not, of course, the the, the, the people are targeted in these in these videos. I think it's very sinister to be undermining. Uh, white working class British boys now when we know full, full well that they are the least achieving but the other issue here is what is misogyny because if you look at the mayor's definition of it it's activity which is competitive and uh, confident Now that's a remarkable thing to say competitiveness and confidence this goes to the wider issue of the attack on masculinity but also the attack on the West it's undermining the reason that the West became the, the, the great civilization it was was because of its competitiveness and because of its confidence and there's been this undermining from within our culture of those two key ingredients that make society strong that I think are, are, are a reason that we're in the mess that we're in today yeah I mean I, I would say it's interesting that that point by the way about the film which did it hit me it brought back memories of a film that they did all oh, 15 years ago um, I think it was in Rotherham and it was one of those public information films about grooming gangs and they absolutely turned on that on its head the situation so it mm. was a group of young white guys in the car mm. going after a kind of look it's not a matter of racism this was just fact you know? well if you remember with that video originally it was an Asian groomer Groomer, and then they had to reshoot it because they were scared of. So you're exactly mm. right. Yeah. It's even worse. They actually made one version and decided they had to have the white person as the yeah. villain. Mm. So I mean, this this ad combines both a fear of racism, fear of accusation of racism, with genuine racism by pinning all the blame on the poor white guy. You know, mm. it was it was really unfortunate, but. It speaks to something else, which is responsabilization. You know, as, as we both said, he's not dealing with bigger problems. He's focusing on something which is scarcely a problem at all. If the worst thing I had to worry about in life was hearing somebody say spicy breasts somewhere in public, mm. I'd be so pleased, you know. But it's always our fault. It's not his fault as mayor. It's not mm. systemic problems. It's not political problems. It's your fault as the citizen. You've said something a bit naughty. They want the world to be completely joyless, humorless, and, and frankly, sexless. What is this actually an attack on sexual instincts? Because they're not going away. But the, so they want this kind of mm. dull, totalitarian world where you mm. can't look at somebody on a train. How, how do I know if someone's looking at me, whether it's a misogynistic stare or they're just gazing into the distance or they're just looking at something I'm wearing. Should I be frightened? You know, the whole thing is just mad. It's a constant intrusion on us as private individuals and it's a responsabilization on us as citizens which detracts from political failings. Well, you know, yes. Interestingly though as well, it is uh, a political ideology at work in that words are violence. Because I remember when I was on the assembly having to ask them something about you know, it was actually Harry, the Harry Miller situation. And the policeman there at the time, the senior policeman said, yes, but we do know that in countless cases, we, we just absolutely know that basically, you know, liking a, a, a bad tweet or saying the wrong thing does lead, does, you know, go up to physical attack. This is a kind of article of faith with them, mm. these people. So he just say, if you just start off with the kind of low grade stuff, like saying made or whatever, then somehow that's going to kind of deal with it. I think to an extent they genuinely believe that words, you know, automatically mean that you are going to start going out and being a rapist. 
even if you say something off colour, you know, where is the real connection there? There isn't one. Well, if you think if you think words are violence, which of course is nonsense, although words have a great deal of power, then mm. you could assume that a word like mate, I can't barely say it without rolling my eyes and feeling really angry, mate, sounding like a sheep, then you, you might think the word mate can save people. And of course it's nonsense. Mm. This is the problem with behavioural science wonks who are overly paid in ad agencies wasting the taxpayers' money thanks to Sadiq Khan. Mm. They don't understand people. Oh, do you know what it reminds me of? It's like the um, it's like some of the ads for the COVID vaccine. There were ads on social media to try to persuade young people to get the COVID-19 vaccine mm. and it was and, and they said get the shot as oh, though you yeah. were actually going to get a tequila shot or something. You yeah. know there's there's no confusion here. Young people know which sort of shot they're taking. They're trying to make it kind of sexy, glamorous, fun and about going out. Total fail, total fail. Yeah. But also the other comparison with COVID here is there was a lot of responsabilization in those campaigns. Look him in the eyes and tell him you never break the rules. As though people were dying because some random person broke the rules rather than the fact that hospitals are a bit like mini cities for infection and we didn't have enough PPE. You know, it's, it's always trying to pin the blame on you. That was, a, that was a particularly egregious one, wasn't it? That one of look, look them in the eye, you know, that was awful, wasn't it? Playing on people's kind of guilt mm. and all of that. Yeah, really nasty horror film yeah. aesthetic and pinning all the blame on, on the private citizen. Well, one thing is that uh, with Khan, you know, it's going to build loads of houses, for example. It's a nice, neat segue here. Um, and uh, he's failed to do so, of course. Um, one of the initiatives that's come up this week, not quite sure how far it is as a proposal, but it's that essentially planning laws are going to be kind of well, relaxed and, and changed to allow people to extend their houses to for shops to be converted into flats, uh, for I think takeaway sh takeaway shops were for some mentioned particularly, all to try to basically lessen this chronic uh, lack of housing that we have at the moment. I mean, what do you what do you make of this? I, to me, when when they say oh, so we can turn houses into flats and that will revitalise the area, I'm thinking. What are you talking about? It seems to do the absolute opposite. Do it you is, not think? It's the absolute opposite. When I first heard this story, I actually felt quite sad because 6,000 uh, shops have been lost from the high street in the last five years due to lockdowns yeah. and crippling business rates yeah. and costs. Yeah. Now, okay, a lot of people do their shopping differently now and there are lots of challenges that the high street faces, but you are not going to reinvigorate areas by turning shops in two houses. Yeah. It makes me sad about business and what are we doing to protect businesses? Oh, well, we've put corporation tax up. You know, this, this says something quite sad and negative about the economy and the high street. But if that's 6,000 shops and that's 6,000 homes, it's not really very many homes. Mm. And the planners never really talk about the big numbers involved in the planning task that we really face. So. Net, net migration in the year to June was 600,000. Mm. So the conservative target of 300,000 was only ever going to meet half of mm. Mm. The, the last year's influx of people. So it was never going to be enough anyway. In fact, according to the Migration Watch website, if you were to meet the housing demand from immigration at the moment, you'd have to build a house every five minutes. Yep day and night. Mm, so mm. we're not really talking about the big problem. This, it sounds like a nice plan, but um, 
doesn't really go anywhere to, sol to solving the housing problem. Well, no, the, the thing is, we, we have to, you have these endless phantom discussions about housing in which you are not really allowed to talk about one of the main drivers, I'd say the main driver, which is the population going up by 8 million in whatever, 10, 15 years. Yeah, no. 7 million of it was from immigration. Yeah. Oh, that's right. So that's, that's, the really, that's the really big cause of... Um, mm. I mean, at some point, somebody has to say, what, what's the kind of ideal population? What's the ideal mm. net migration? And how do we meet the housing needs? Mm. No one's having that conversation. Mm. Talking about how to turn destroyed businesses into homes just touches the tiniest tip mm. of the issue. Mm. So yeah, well, I've spoken many times here about the connection between migration and the housing mm. crisis, so I, I agree entirely on, on those points, but I disagree completely with you in terms of this proposal, which I think is an excellent proposal. It doesn't go far enough, but it actually puts into place Sir Roger Scruton's ideas for revitalizing cities. Uh, this is not about closing down shop. This is actually a way to revitalize places by creating urban density on a scale that we have in city centres currently and that you also get in the great European city centres which basically are five and six storey buildings. So this isn't a question of just you know, closing down shops and transforming them, this is about building on top of shops, building on top of betting, betting shops. Well, so literally? Forth, literally mean? on top of the buildings, adding three or mm. four storeys mm. on top of these. So uh, basically, you know, the British High Street is one of the most miserable sites in the world, if you go there. Yeah, they're all betting shops, arcades, charity shops, estate agents. What this does is it will bring people back into cities, but also will bring people into the suburbs, because suburbs will now begin to resemble city centres, whereby you'll have four or five storey buildings. For humans, high-rises are anathema. High-rises are antisocial, anti-human. You know, ever since you know Prince Charles and Quinn uh, and Terry were discussing this in the 80s, we've known that it's buildings of around five to six stories that are human, mm. and if they're built correctly, in, uh, in uh, uh, importantly, in a, with aesthetically pleasing styles, they will be places where people will want to come, and they will revitalise these streets because you will actually have a reason for people to to shop and retail down there because they'll be living above the shop quite literally, and so you will have more cafes, more perhaps bookshops and libraries bringing back in the sorts of businesses that you need for a thriving community. You won't need to travel so far to, to work and so forth. It's a question of creating in the suburbs what we enjoy so much about city centre living. So I think that it's a superb idea. Uh, it's also the part of the plan is to actually face up to the reality that as, as holy as the Green Belt is, for example, there's lots of brownfield sites on the Green mm -hmm. Belt that because of NIMBYism, Tory MPs are unwilling to actually tackle. So you can actually build on a lot of green belt, greenfield sites without in any way reducing, you know, the idyllic pastoral landscape of this country, of England's green and pleasant land. Well, I think, well, I mean, are you convinced by that argument? Well, I, I might have misunderstood Gove's plans, which I thought no, was no, to change the use. Oh, okay, so I thought it was about changing the use. I was about to say that. Yeah. Two you were talking when you were talking there about Roger Scruton and everything. Uh, you you had in mind things like the, this Cambridge plan, which is is it on paper or is it actually done the Cambridge one? Oh well, it, well it's, it's drawn on paper and everything drawn else, but it hasn't got an approval. It's just been announced. Hasn't got approval. But th there's that, and there's the other one, which is basically converting places. I just sort of thought. I mean, when you have you see, bring people back. When I think of all the places that have actually just been converted into luxury apartments, no apartment is ever anything other than luxury now. 
<laughs> I think of it. But that's an important other issue, yeah. No, but there's, a, <clears throat> there's a, the uh, pubs, banks, shops, whatever, and you sort of think, this is all very well and everything. No, but this I isn't mean, about that. This is about industrial units, right? These are those, these are those, you know, if you remember the opening scene of The Office with, um, what's his name, Ricky Gervais, you've yeah. got the scenes of Slough, is converting those types of buildings, office blocks, which we know are no longer being used because people are working from home and are more digital, industrial sites which aren't needed, manufacturing places that aren't being used any longer. It's turning those ugly parts of the city, as was done in Canary Wharf, as was done in Nine Elms in London and Battersea, you know, like the 1980s warehouse conversions. It's about revitalizing those parts of cities. The whole point here is that the, the government is so scared about annoying Tory voters, they don't want to build next to nice towns and so forth, so they're trying their best to use up all the space that they can inside cities. The other point here you make is a very good one though, and it's the fact that the housing that's been built for the last 20 years has been housing designed for professional couples. Mm -hmm. These are apartment, luxury apartment buildings, even when it's affordable mm -hmm. housing, they're usually two to three bedroom apartments. The idea of having an actual place for a family has gone by the wayside now, and that's of course one of the reasons why you've seen the, the white working class leave London so much, is because they are no longer able to find suitable housing in, 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 in this mm. place. So that's another issue entirely, the type of housing that's built, but over the overarching policy must be beauty. Beauty, beauty, beauty. This is the thing that all proper traditional conservatives, not neocons or neoliberals, should be espousing is to create communities that are attractive and healthy because it's a healthy mind that leads to healthy people. The thing is, isn't aren't they? Look, I mean, you talk about the single professional uh, people or, or couples. You know, Canary Wharf, perfect example. In fact, you almost never see a family there. Actually, I mean, Canary Wharf quite a lot. Never see a family. You just see endless things going up, business moving out, business moving out more and more residential things going up where is the dynamic that's going to keep this afloat mm. you know where where is it going to come from i mean you know the idea that basically you know you've got to create for families the problem is surely is that there aren't enough families to create for i mean this sounds well there are families that just can't afford my, to live in london it's migration no. migration is fueling you know that we know that where the birth rates where the birth rates are higher. But you're quite right. I mean, the reason that you have this huge surge in luxury apartment buildings, I know for well, because I've gone to the launch of a few of them, you go, they have the launch before they're even built. One third are sold in Asia. One third are sold to yeah. Russians and people in the Middle East. And you're left with about a third or a quarter that are actually available to, for British people mm -hmm. to actually purchase. Too often, these apartment buildings are basically Swiss uh, deposit boxes in the sky mm. that they're in there for uh, as investments whereas there is a huge argument for building I mean look we know from every survey that people always prefer traditional architecture to high-rises and, sort of and so mm. places like Poundbury that the, that the king made in the in the 1980s which were ridiculed by architects have become so successful now that they're trying to re expand upon it and build new Poundburys that's the sort of quality housing you can build with using stone and local techniques you can actually create perfectly viable communities where families will thrive. Mm. Absolutely, I can't agree, I couldn't agree with you more about the beauty. It, it seems to me there are so many areas of cities, especially London, that you walk through and it feels as though the architecture's been designed to hurt your soul. It's, it's, hor mm. it's horrible. Mm. Mm. We've, we, we've had such beautiful architecture and then we mm. slap these ugly buildings next to them. I mean, I like the eclecticism of London, but it's a bit much. I think the, the yes, there's a, a great Twitter account. Uh, he's also an admirer of the NCF, by the way. Uh, 
it's called uh, Culture Critic. You know, he's followed by mm. Elon Musk and a great guy. He's always pointing this out. Yeah. Always pointing these things out. And he says, you know, when did we stop wanting to yeah. build beautiful things? And a lot of people put it down to loss of religion, you know, for example. I don't know whether I go along with that, but essentially, yes, you know, that these things are there. They are utterly alienating, aren't they? I've, mm. I've tried to find beauty in brutalism. I really have, you know, like you, you force yourself to National Theatre, for example, in London. And you look and think, Ugly. actually, you know, the wonderful thing about being older is you no longer have to worry about that. You say, no, actually, it's awful. <laughs> I don't want to be in well, it. And it the is. great test is all the brutalist architects actually lived in lovely uh, yes, exactly. Edwardian arts yeah. and crafts yes. houses themselves. And also Richard <laughs> Rogers, you know, the, the guy who did all the, you know, all with the innards on the outside. Uh, beautiful Georgian house on Royal Square, just off the King's Road. The only one that's only kind of is okay is the Barbican because it's populated by really rich gentrified people that keep it nice. That's the truth. I mean, otherwise brutalist architecture is just it's, it's just an eyesore. Hideous, isn't but it? a lot of the skyscrapers are for me. They look like big dark fangs rising out of the earth. Yeah, and the thing that's fascinating is that all of these new buildings that are being the the the, the, the chrome and steel skyscrapers and aren't going to be there in a hundred years not even meant to, to last that long we aren't actually proud enough of our buildings to actually think or believe that they might be here for a millennia whereas mm -hmm. we know full well that the buildings that the Georgians and the Victorians and everyone else has built like the Tower of London or Parliament will be there long after we've shuffled off yeah. this mortal coil I think the, the problem is now that, uh, that modern architecture uh, you know some of it can be I quite like some of it but there's a particularly soulless global kind of feel to just go mm. along Vauxhall you know go along on the I come in on the train you go along and there are these kind of they could be in Mum, they could be in uh, Dubai they could mm. be in Miami it doesn't Absolutely. really matter and the people who live in them don't really care Mm. Well, the best architecture is always vernacular, not designed by any architects or mm. draftsmen, designed by local people in local styles. And there's been the loss of vernacular architecture and the, the, the cancerous spread of this international architecture. You know, whether you're in Japan or Saudi Arabia or London, I think that's been one of the most depressing things to see in the Have last 50 years. Have you been to Palmbury? You know, um, I, I have driven through it. I haven't spent much time there. But I tell you, I went recently and that was around Canada Water and Surrey oh, Keys and, yeah. I, and I felt like I was in an anywhere place and I felt like mm. I was in the 15 minute city of mm. my hellish future mm. because you know there was everything you know yoga studio here bar there shop there and I thought oh no these people don't need to go anywhere then they've got everything have they and they're stuck here yeah I did I, I felt <laughs> like I could be anywhere and there was something really depressing about it have you been to Palmbury? No, I'm very keen to go. Oh, oh, no. I've researched a lot. And I've well, I know. I just look at I just Palmbury. You know, the Prince, where, as the then Prince Prince of Wales, Prince Charles, uh, was behind. Uh, to me, it looks a bit like Camberwick Green. I mean, there is that. But slide. people like that. But that's I, the thing. I've Paul, got fond memories shown. of Camberwick Green. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people like. You're a metropolitan elitist, here, you see? No, well, this, is what, this is what people no, absolutely no, like. Cheap shot. <laughs> cheap shot. <laughs> Uh, right, thank you very much for today. Thanks very much. Do hope thank you come you. back uh, again, actually. You know, and not don't wait for the ne uh, next book. Come back for you know before then. Um, there we go. Uh, that's it for Newspeak. Uh, again, please take a look at our our site, WesternCivilization.co.uk, um, and we shall see you next time. Thank you. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission. May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website 
newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.